Hi there, I'm James Apache, and this is Coffee and a Case Note. Team, today we are going to have a chat about a parent and a child. And this parent and child are co-owners of a warehouse in Western Sydney. And they are co-owners as tenants in common. And that tenants in common co-ownership is on a 50-50 basis. So we've got parent that owns 50% share and we've got a son that owns 50% share. And what we're talking about today is we've got the parent who is coming to the court and the parent is seeking a number of orders, um, including the appointment of Section 66G trustees for sale. And we're gonna get into what all this means, I promise, as we work through this discussion. Right, what's the factual background? We've got uh, parent and child, and parent's former spouse, who is also a child's parent, right, this divorced couple, um, the other side of the couple from the parent in our litigation dies in 1990 and leaves their other children substantial bequests, you know, a lot of value, a lot of assets from their estate, but leaves our defendant today with not that much. And what our defendant says is, hey, that's relevant background for why my parent would have gone into this warehouse co-ownership arrangement with me. What happens is the parent themselves pays, borrows money to pay the entirety of the purchase price for this warehouse, notwithstanding the fact that on paper, uh, parent and child are recorded as 50-50 co-owners. Now that warehouse is purchased in 2010, and as I mentioned earlier, the son says this unfair distribution from my other parent's estate is relevant background to this warehouse because my parent wanted to benefit me, noting that my dead parent didn't pass to me those benefits back in the past when they died in 1990. Now, <clears throat> the application today is brought by the plaintiff by way of representative, by way of someone standing in for them in a role similar to an attorney, similar to what we lawyers sometimes call a tutor, but not absolutely identical. But the short point is, the plaintiff has Alzheimer's and the plaintiff doesn't necessarily have capacity to run the litigation on their own behalf. And so that means in this discussion, when we're talking about the plaintiff, we're talking about the plaintiff in their legal capacity, but we're not necessarily speaking about them personally pressing this claim on the basis. So the plaintiff, by a representative, brings this claim to court. <clears throat> the nature of the claim is, hey, we want a declaration that the defendant, the child, their 50% share of the property is actually held on trust, on a, uh, by way of resulting trust for the parent. They don't really own it beneficially, they only own it on paper. We want orders that say that. We want orders um, that has the child repay 50% of the rental income that they've taken over time back into the parent's bank account because there's evidence that shows that from 2017 onwards, the child has caused the warehouse to be rented out and has caused money to be paid, rent to be paid, and they've taken all that money for themselves. So the parent, by their representative, is seeking payment of one half of that amount back into the parent's bank account. Now, the final uh, head of relief, if we can put it that way, being sought by the parent is um, a, uh, the appointment of what we call statutory trustees for sale. So these are people 
who will become the owner of a piece of property where those owners can't get along. So these people, statutory trustees will be appointed. They will themselves become the legal owner of the property. Their job is to sell it and then take their fees and from what is left after the sale, their fees and other costs associated with that sale, they'll then distribute the balance back to the co-owners. It's what you do, uh, or it's what you can do, um, if you have co-owners of a piece of property who are not getting along. So the court has to work through the evidence, such as it is, and there are a number of mentions in the judgment that there's very little evidence to go on, um, and so the court's cautious about coming to certain conclusions. But the court has to consider, is the child holding their 50% share on trust for the parent? The short answer is no. Um, the court works through the relevant evidence. There's evidence of the child bringing investment opportunities to the parent, such as an unsuccessful investment in a Kenyan gold mine and all these sorts of things. Um, but after working through the evidence, the court finds that on balance, based on what is before the court, um, the conclusion is that it was intended by the parent, that notwithstanding the fact the parent paid all the money, that the child would come to be the 50% owner of the property. Now, interestingly, the child originally said, oh, the parent intended for me to become the 100% owner of the property. And uh, with great respect, you may not be surprised to hear that the child did not press that claim at final hearing. <coughs> Short point was, the parent actually failed on their application for the resulting trust. They failed to say to the court, hey, the child holds the child's 50% share on trust for the parent. There were consideration of other issues such as the presumption of advancement that we lawyers sometimes speak about, but the fundamental question was the balance of probabilities, what the court thought uh, was intended by the parties at the time. Now don't forget that there are two other issues left to go, right, the rent and the 66G trustees. On the point of the rent, the child tries to say, hey, I agreed with parent that um, this rent would be mine. And the short point uh, is that the court concludes, no, that's not what happened. Um, the rental arrangement was entered into at a time when the parent was suffering from Alzheimer's, when the parent had significant financial challenges going on, and when there was no real evidence of any agreement being reached at all. And so the court quite comfortably concludes that 50% of those rental proceeds ought to be paid from child off to parent. Now, finally, the appointment of 66G trustees, those statutory trustees, independent people who come in to become the owner of a property in order to sell it and distribute the corpus of the statutory trust, uh, as we lawyers like to say, um, those orders are made. And the reason those orders are made um, is that they can be made almost as of right. Basically, if you and I are co-owners of a property, we're not getting along, it's almost close to a basic right of property ownership that we can go ahead and seek to appoint independent statutory trustees for sale to go sell that property, take their fee and distribute the balance to us. So the parent lost on resulting trust. The parent won on rent. The parent won on 66G trustees. What normally happens in a 66G matter is that everyone's legal costs are paid out of the balance, paid out of the sale proceeds of selling the property. Well, here, the parent only succeeded on the court loose, you know, a loose way of looking at it is 50%, only succeeded on some of their application. They failed on that resulting trust point. They failed to show the child held the property on trust for the parent. And so the court says, rather than having 100% of your costs come out of the corpus of the trust, 
of the balance of the proceeds of sale, you can have 50% of those costs. I hope that discussion assisted you, and I look forward to speaking again soon over another coffee and in respect of another case note. Cheers.